This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Goldcamp, here with my co-host, Jacob Rudner. We'll have Blake Alderman on in a little bit to discuss more Florida football. But, Jacob, we have some big news from uh, a program that you are plenty familiar with. Florida has landed a transfer from Arizona State receiver Ricky Pearsall. I guess very broadly, can you tell us what Florida's getting in Pearsall? Yeah, it sounds like, based on my understanding, that Ricky has an opportunity to immediately join Florida's roster as a as a candidate to start in the slot. Uh, and if that's the case, I would say that he's an above-average-sized slot receiver. Uh, tough guy, uh, smart and a good route runner, really understands how to leverage his size well by dropping his hips. Uh, he has average overall hands. I would say that he doesn't exactly stand out with, a, with an incredible uh, ability to make, you know, extraordinary catches and his catch radius is nothing phenomenal either it's good uh, but I would say that the real grab here for Florida is the fact that he is a quick uh, sharp route runner he is somebody who knows how to leverage interior routes particularly well and did a great job of that for Arizona State last year and it's just kind of one of those guys that I think you're going to be able to get a consistent sort of product out of him uh, according to his father who I've been talking to with throughout his recruitment uh, he was recently tracked on Arizona State's in practice tracking system. It basically has players wearing these small vests under their pads that tracks things like mile per hour, uh, heart rate and stuff like that. He was tracked as fast as 23 miles per hour in a practice. Wow. Uh, yeah. Which is quite quick. Uh, and so I obviously don't, you know, that's, you take that for what it's worth, but I, I can say that he does, he does possess pretty solid quickness overall. And so I would say that this is a really good pickup. And then relative to Florida's wide receiver situation, I would say that it was a great pickup just considering what they needed. Yeah, I mean, you were out there all spring. We, you know, we talked about it even going into sort of this spring transfer portal window. That was a spot there where we thought Florida needed an infusion of some talent. And obviously, the Gators have a couple veterans. You look at what Justin Shorter did last year. I think a lot of people are sort of hoping that he can take the next step and sort of really emerge as sort of a go-to type receiver. He certainly got the size, has the speed, but you know, there's been question marks about his hands here and there. Beyond that, I mean, Trent Whittemore is, is we think, a guy that can be pretty productive, uh, maybe even somewhat similar in some ways to Pearsall, maybe not quite as quick. Um, but him, Xavier Henderson, I mean, neither of those guys have really quite stepped up to where you'd feel super comfortable with them being your number one or your number two. Um, Jacob, how, how, how far up the pecking order do you think that Pearsall slides, given what you've seen of him and Florida's receiving core? Yeah, I would think that there's, a, I mean, just to start, I would say that he immediately jumps in as a top four receiver on this team. And there's really no question in my mind about that. He joins that group of Henderson and Justin Shorter and Trent Whittemore uh, right away. I would say that there's probably a really good chance that he cracks the top three and becomes Florida's starting slot receiver. Again, I just think with the skill set, and you even mentioned it yourself, that there are a lot of things that Trent Whittemore does well 
but perhaps not best suited for a slot receiver type role. And I think that that's going to open the door pretty quickly for Pearsall to kind of prove that that is my role. That is the kind of category of receiver that I fit into perhaps more uh, seamlessly than Trent Whittemore does. And so I would say that there's a, there's a good chance that on day one, we could probably see Ricky Pearsall start. And I should add that he's familiar with Florida's day one opponent. He has played Utah every single year of his career. And uh, that is where Florida kicks things off. Yeah, that's that's definitely an interesting benefit I hadn't really thought of to this point. Um, you know, I had fans ask me on the Swamp 24-7 message board kind of what happens, you know, if, if Pearsall goes into the slot, because I do think a lot of Florida fans are pretty high on Trent Whittemore. Now, obviously, he's had some injury history. He's had a, a punctured lung, and then I forget, um, I don't remember if that was last year or the year before, but he had another injury that slowed him at one point last year. Uh, my thinking is very much that Whittemore is the type that can play outside, and I believe as a freshman when he came in, he played one of those outside spots along with Van Jefferson. So he kind of has already done that. And I think, you know, from a football IQ standpoint, he's very sharp, can pick things up quickly. But I think to to the other point, you know, Trent Whittemore isn't a guy that's necessarily as quick in a phone booth, so to speak. And that doesn't mean he's not a good route runner. I do think he's a good route runner, but he's not necessarily that fast, explosive, shifty type in the slot. Trent Whittemore is a great athlete in terms of going up and getting the football. And we've seen that a lot. And I think that's typically a skill set that you like your outside guys to have. And so when you're talking about Florida looking sort of for those go-to playmakers, I actually think this could be a very much win-win scenario for Florida where you get Pearsall in the slot, you know, are able to ramp him up fairly quickly uh, with a system that he should be, you know, pretty able to handle, I think, early on. And then, you know, you've got a guy like Whittemore all of a sudden competing potentially with Xavier Henderson outside get a little bit more competition for that spot. And again, I think Whittemore's skill set, you know, he's the guy that can jump out of the gym as a fantastic basketball player. So he can go up and make some of those contested catches, and we've seen that. So, Jacob, I think for for a Florida program that was looking for some talent from the portal, this is good news because, you know, there's there hasn't been that many targets for Florida in the portal. And this is one that Florida had their eye on from the very start as soon as Pearsall entered the portal. Um, wasn't an easy battle. You know, I, I think you've, you've, you know, can maybe speak to this a little bit more, but yeah. this was a, a decision that really did kind of sort of come down to the wire in a lot of ways. And Oregon, I think gave Florida and, and really gave Pearsall a lot to think about. No, there's no doubt about that. I mean, as late as uh, it really did come down to the last second and, and Ricky Pearsall's father had told me that there was even talk amongst them that this would be a last minute decision. And just kind of one of those things where, when it came down time to announce something, whichever one felt right was going to be what they were going to go with because they really did feel strongly about both programs. They liked what Billy Napier was putting out there. They thought the opportunity to play with Anthony Richardson was a huge selling point, but they also saw a lot of qualities that they liked at Oregon. I think that they liked the new coaching staff over there. Uh, Bo Nix at quarterback. I also think they looked at somewhat favorably and you have to keep in mind that Pearsall is familiar with the PAC 12. So that would have been a move where he stays somewhat closer to home He's playing against teams that he knows that he can play well against and has an opportunity potentially to do kind of a similar rise very quickly up the depth chart type situation. And you go and you dominate that competition. And that was the selling tactic that, that Oregon chose to use. Uh, and I can, I can tell you that one of the things that Florida was really trying to sell to him, and clearly it worked, was you know you can play in the Pac-12. You were Arizona right. State's leading receiver last year. So why not come show that you can be the same guy against better competition? Come play in the SEC where it doesn't get tougher and show people that you can be a good receiver. And I know that there was a presentation 
that Florida gave. Uh, Billy Napier was a part of that. I know that uh, there were several other coaches and members of the Gator Made program who were also on this uh, Zoom call with Pearsall and his family uh, on Thursday, where they basically laid this all out. And they said, look, you know, these are kind of the benefits that you could get personally from coming to Florida. We also think we're, we're pretty confident with what we have going from a team perspective, and we think that you need to be a part of it. And uh, obviously, that, that is what uh, won out. So, uh, yeah, it was a good job by Florida to, to hang with it. It did get close. Uh, there was time, I would say, where it was a genuine toss-up. I was posting about it on the Swamp 24-7 message board where it was, it was not only down to the wire, but there were even times potentially where I felt as though, just based off my conversations with Pearsall and his family that things might have even been slightly trending towards Oregon. I know that there are also members of Florida's coaching staff that maybe didn't feel similarly fully, but also were definitely on the fence of where it was going and they couldn't really tell either as late as Friday. Yeah. So Florida, Florida definitely did a good job and this is a big win for Billy Napier and his staff. There's, there's no doubt about it. And, you know, we talked about sort of the lack of targets in the transfer portal. One guy that Florida thought might've been a target was another Arizona State guy, uh, Jermaine Lole. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened there? Obviously, at this point, for fans that don't know, he went ahead and committed to Louisville. Yeah, so it, the commitment came out of nowhere if you weren't really following the recruitment. I think that it was it was odd because he had himself said publicly that he had plans to visit four schools. Florida was one of them. Uh, and he didn't even make it to Florida's campus. He committed the day before he was expected to arrive in Gainesville. Actually, sorry, he, was, he committed the day he was expected to arrive in Gainesville. Right. And then was was supposed to spend the weekend on an official visit. Um, it, my understanding is that Lole would not have qualified academically to play at Florida, and that was the case at several other schools as well. Uh, I know one of his options was to potentially return to Arizona State, and it sounds like Louisville uh, had a route for him to qualify academically. Uh, but I can tell you that it, it it has nothing to do with the classes he did or did not take, and how those credits would transfer over. My understanding is that this is based on his grades from when he was at Arizona State. Uh, he very tragically lost his father and older brother uh, to complications with COVID uh, earlier on in the pandemic. This was a little over a year and a half ago off the top of my head. And uh, it deep, I mean, as you can imagine, it deeply yeah. impacted him. Uh, and one of the things that, that suffered greatly was his grades. Uh, and so once that happened, I think that that is now still kind of, you're, you're seeing the effects of it. Uh, and there was really nothing Florida could do. And, and I, we have reported on our site that they were going to try and do everything. They were willing to host him for an official visit while they were still trying to maybe have conversations on the academic and admission side to see if they could make something work. But it just sounded like there was nothing really within reason that was going to be able to get Lole on campus and eligible to play football. And that was what led to the decision with Louisville. Yeah, and I think, I, I think one of the big reasons that news sort of caught Florida fans by surprise is... I mean, that is a big position in need for Florida, that defensive tackle spot. And we saw, uh, you know, Dar Darnell Jackson. Uh, am I saying that right? Daryl Jackson. Daryl Jackson. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, the West Virginia guy uh, committed to Miami. Um, and so, you know, obviously that's a spot where right now Florida probably doesn't feel comfortable. Jacob, is there anybody else in the portal at this point that Florida, I mean, where are we at with that? Yeah. So th there aren't really any names at the moment that, at least I've heard that Florida is actively pursuing and don't take that the wrong way. Uh, if somebody comes along that they evaluate and they believe is going to be a fit for the program, uh, I think you can rest assured that they're going to try and make an, a pursuit of that player. 
But I can tell you that right now, I don't think that there's anybody specific. I think that the search is now very broad. Um, I think that the sense is that Pearsall was a big win for them and they knew that they needed to get a wide receiver. And he was the guy from the day that he entered the portal on April 21st. They were on the phone with him and his family that day. Um, but now I think that they feel that the pressure is at least to a degree eased back. They are feeling really good about how they did in the winter with the transfer portal, bringing in a couple of the guys from Louisiana. Kimber was another guy who they brought along uh, and, and they felt good about that. And so I would say right now, there's just not a sense of urgency anymore on that front. I think that they really want to focus on 2023 recruiting, making sure that they bring in a, a solid class, which we've actually seen them land a couple commitments, which you and Blake will talk about, uh, I'm sure even more. And so, you know, it's a good, it, 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 I think they think they're in a good spot. And so right now there is nobody now. Yeah. And I mean, the other factor in that is, you know, Florida is over the 85 man scholarship limit right now. And obviously the numbers tend to work out. You know, there's there's different loopholes and, and ways that guys will probably end up rolling off that scholarship chart. But it's not like Florida's sitting here with like 10 openings and they need to take guys just to take guys. I mean, you've got the numbers on the roster to go into the fall with a competent group. You know, I think at this point, you probably have some concerns about that defensive tackle spot next to Jervon Dexter. You're going to have to have somebody step up, and we'll talk more about that with Blake in the second half of the show. Um, but I do think, you know, we, we've mentioned this, I think, once previously on the podcast. I, I, I'll i be honest. I thought the spring portal period would be a little bit more active, and I yeah. think Florida's coaches probably did too. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's easy to be critical, but this is all so new. And to your point, they did do a very good job in the first portal window in the winter, bringing in Montrell Johnson, bringing in Osiris Torrance, two guys that are likely starters, whether or not Johnson ends up being the designated starter. I don't know. He's going to play a lot. And then Jalen Kimber, you know, potentially competing for a starting spot at corner, if not adding very valuable depth. Um, Cameron Waits, a developmental prospect. I mean, they, they did well in the winter portal. So I do think there was probably a little bit of miscalculation about what was going to be available in the spring period. Um, but you know, this is kind of where Florida is. And so we'll see how this staff continues to adjust going forward. Jacob, any parting thoughts before I let you go here? No, I would say that this is going to be an interesting couple next couple months. I think that, like you said, there aren't really any high profile transfer targets still out there. And we also have heard that Florida is just not making any specific pursuits right now. Uh, and all of that means to me that it's really going to come time to focus on 2023 recruiting. We're going to have to really keep an eye on how things go on the high school front, because clearly the staff is feeling, you know, at least content with what they have on the roster in a way that they're really going to start building towards next year. And for a new coaching staff, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. They're playing with guys on the field who they might not even want on the field, uh, but it's just what they have access to because that was what was left for them. They really inherited a roster. Mm -hmm. And so now it's time for them to build their own thing. And it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. And it seems as though the mentality in the building has shifted to that as well. Perfect segue. Well, I'm going to let you go there. And when we come back on the other side of this break, I'm going to bring in Blake Alderman. We're going to talk about how that current roster shakes out right now and then get the latest on Florida recruiting. Stick with us right after this break. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The farmer's dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. 
get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Goldcamp. I've got Blake Alderman in here with me now. We talked uh, to Jacob Rudner in the first half of the show. Obviously, as you just heard about Ricky Pearsall, about Florida's plans in the transfer portal. How right now, um, not really anybody that we know that Florida's going after that could change, obviously, down the road. But Blake, for the most part, let's go ahead and work on the assumption that the roster that Florida has right now is kind of what they're going to be working with in the fall. You know, obviously there's the potential for late additions. We saw that last year with a guy like Tyrone Truesdale who came in the middle of fall camp. Um, what's what I guess is this spot right now that sticks out to you as sort of the biggest concern still. I think I would go part of the interior part of the defensive line. You know, whenever you have a staff that is as active as they were, as far as, you know, trying to recruit some of these portal guys in the defensive line, Daryl Jackson was one that they really wanted. He ended up going to Miami. Um, then obviously Jermaine Lole, um, that one didn't work out due to academic concerns. So I, I think whenever you see a staff that's trying to <clears throat> bring someone in there at that interior part of the defensive line, um, it's an area where they want to bring in someone, whether they're a one-year rental type of guy, like what Lole would have been, or a guy like Jackson who has some, some more uh, eligibility left to play. You can see that they want to bring some guys in there I think whenever you have a guy like Javon Dexter, that's someone that you know is going to be a bona fide guy for Florida, you know, someone that they can count on. But it's it's the counterpart next to him. That, that I think that's the real concern. So I think for me, um, if any guys pop up on their radar for, for a portal guy that they're chasing at the defensive line spot, I think that would more than likely be the one that I would take a bet on, the, the most likely area if they did change and, and somebody popped up, you know, as far as their search to the portal, I would say it's probably that. Like, how big of a concern is that for you? Because I got to admit, like, defensive tackle is hands down my biggest concern. And like you said, Jervon Dexter, I think, can be a real player. But I was thinking about this the other day. I don't remember the last time Florida went into a season with really only one guy that you sort of knew was going to be good, so to speak. I mean, you know, Jalen Lee, to his credit, I think played a, a little bit, has some statistical production. But I don't think anybody watching would would look at a Jalen Lee and say, oh, that guy's ready to be a full-time starter in the SEC. Now, maybe that changes with development. But to me, that's such a huge area of concern. Like, how, how much of a limiting factor do you think that position will be for Florida if they can't land somebody else? I think it's extremely limiting for them. And it's, it's a pretty high concern for me just because, again, Jervon can be as talented as everyone thinks he's going to be. He's obviously, I mean, he, he came in with an extremely high ceiling as far as even being a five-star coming out of high school. But it's hard to, you know, scheme against double teams and if there's even more than that. So you could take him out of the game as a factor just by how you plan your blocking schemes out. So there's not really somebody in there that could – you know, be the compliment that makes those plays if Jervon is the one they're targeted or someone that you have to scheme around to, you know, kind of play double duty of, you know, block this guy, block that guy. So I think if, if a team comes in and can, you know, and wants to scheme it up to really try to make Jervon and take him out of the game, there's not someone in there that you can think that's going to be like, okay, well, this person's going to really make that impact. They're going to step up. Could they? Sure. You know, I mean, 
anything can happen, but I think just from what we know and what we've seen, there's still a lot of questions to that defensive line spot. And I think that's why they were such, you know, it wasn't like they you missed on a, on a Daryl Jackson, like, Oh, well, we like what we have. They continued to look for other guys right. at the, in the portal. So I think it's a pretty big concern for me. Yeah. And I, you know, guys can develop. I think, you know, Chris sure. McClellan, I think is one that, you know, really looked the part physically as a freshman. And, you know, I, I'm more apt to <clears throat> sort of trust that a guy like that will develop than a guy necessarily that's going to take some big leap like a Jalen Lee or a Jalen Humphreys, you know, guys that have been around for a couple of years, you know, typically when you see that jump, it, it tends to happen a little bit earlier in the career, I think. Now, coaching change could help with that. Um, but I do agree. I think that's a, a big questionable spot on the defense. And I'll be honest, I, like I'm pretty high on the rest of the defense. You know, we've talked about it on this podcast. I think the secondary can be really good. Um, I like the mix of, of veteran leadership between Ventrell Miller uh, and, and I guess to a degree Amari Bernie at linebacker, coupled with what we've seen out of guys like DeWan Black. So I think Florida has a lot of pieces. I just I look at it and, you, you know, you look at that defensive tackle spot. That's a spot you really would have liked to see Florida land somebody. And again, potential for late additions, but that's typically not a spot where you get a lot of production. And I think anybody that watched Florida last year knows, you know, your upside for defensive tackles in the in the transfer portals a little bit limited. You know, Antonio Valentino, probably the best case you're looking at. And, you know, worst case scenario, you're getting a guy like like a Truesdale who doesn't really contribute a whole lot or, or even a Daquan Newkirk. So, you know, a little bit of a miss there for Florida. Blake, let's shift over to get your perspective on maybe the the offensive skill positions, because that is a spot where Florida has added some significant pieces in the portal, both with Montrell Johnson and now with Ricky Pearsall. How comfortable are you with the receiver group at this point? Because I know that that was something we both talked about as a spot where Florida needed to add. You know, I'm more comfortable, obviously, when you add someone in, you know, from from out west at, for Arizona State, like a Ricky Pearsall, who was their most productive wide receiver. That's good because Florida's wide receiver room in general, you have some guys, you know, Justin Shorter, you think will more than likely be kind of the, the alpha of that room. But there's not a lot of guys that you, you you've seen the production, you feel comfortable with the production. And again, you know, how does that translate from the pack, you know, from out west in the pack 12 to the SEC? That's something will remain to be seen. But I feel like Pearsall is a guy that it definitely bolsters that room, bulks that room up a little bit. Um, I, I think that he's going to be a good contributor for Florida. And, you know, you look at, you know, having Anthony Richardson involved in that recruitment. I think that it came down to a situation where you look at Anthony Richardson and you look at Bo Nix. And, you know, again, Anthony Richardson had that, you know, that, that season where he was limited in snaps, but he just has such a high ceiling. So. Yeah. Obviously, the offense is going to have to run through the offensive line, which I'm really high on this year. Anthony Richardson taking that step of being like, you know, the true QB one type. So the offense is going to run through there. Um, I think the wide receiver room in general can come along. You know, you get guys in there that are being developed more, um, you know, by Kerry Colbert. And it seems like those guys are really liking what he's doing on the practice field. You know, um, Xavier Henderson, I think, is someone that could benefit from that. I mean, there's so many guys. Jaquavion Frazier's I thought looked good in the spring game. So there's some guys that you have an idea of what they can do. And you, it's, it's such a gamble for them because they can really impress you and exceed your expectations, or they can match about what you expected. So I think adding a guy like Ricky Pearsall in there, just the production he brings, um, he, he's, you know, has, has been really good. You know, I, I can't sit there and say that I watch a lot of Pac-12 games just because those are late Same here. games. That's what we got Jacob for. <laughs> but going exactly, but going back and watching a lot of the tape, I thought he was really productive. You know, I think that he runs really good routes. So I think he's going to be a guy that's going to come in. And, uh, you know, I, I think he's going to be a contributor right away. 
And, yep. you know, even for Montreal Johnson, yeah. I loved him in the spring game. I think he fits exactly what Billy Napier wants to do on offense. So I, I think he's going to be a really big player for them. I don't know if it's going to be this year just because the fact that they have some guys back there in the backfield, but I do expect him to absolutely be in the mix, get his carries. And I think down the road is where you see him really start to kind of take over that room. Yeah, I think, you know, the skill positions, obviously, you know, they, they lost some talent. Damian Pierce off to the NFL. Uh, Malik Davis gone, Jacob Copeland transfers to Maryland. So Florida needed to shore up those spots and could they have done better? Maybe, but you know, I think for the most part, you know, Jacob and I were talking about it in the first half of the show. When you add a guy like Pearsall, I think more than anything, it gives you some flexibility with what you want to do at receiver, because I think Trent Whittemore can potentially play outside. I, I think bottom line is when you add a Pearsall, you're now four deep of guys that you feel comfortable with starting in any given game. And you're not going to probably start four guys. So you've you've got a little flexibility. You've created some competition now to see, hey, who's the best guy there? And if it's Trent Whittemore in the slot, then maybe Ricky Pearsall becomes the fourth guy, the rotational piece, or maybe he gets a look outside. But definitely Florida has added, I think, to to both that spot and running back to where I, I don't know that I consider those spots as big a liability as maybe I did before transfer season. Absolutely. Like you mentioned the O-line as, as a potential strength for Florida. Let me let me ask you this on offense. Biggest thing you're concerned about and then biggest thing that you are pleased with or think could surprise and really turn this into a very good offense. My biggest concern on offense is the offensive line staying healthy. You know, as, as much as I really like that group in general, I really like the starting five a lot. If any yeah. of those guys go down, I think that that is detrimental to Florida. So I think that's the biggest concern for me. You just see it so much, man. I mean, in the trenches, it's just so easy to get rolled up under. It, it, you know, it's easy to get hurt. You're a big guy in general, you know, walking around and having that weight out there. So I think the biggest concern for me um, is just that group staying healthy because I think that that's that's again, it's it's detrimental for them. Um, the thing that I I could be I could I could surprise down the road I think could probably be that wide receiver room because like I said there are a lot of guys that I you think you have an idea of what they're going to do um, you're still kind of waiting to see who that alpha guy is I would think it's probably going to be shorter but there's some guys you know again Jaquavion Frazier's impressed me in the spring game you know you brought in a lot of those guys you know, through transfer portal like Ricky Pearsall Trent Whittemore if he can stay healthy there's just so many guys that you haven't seen enough of them to where they could really impress you. And I, I can't remember what season it was. And maybe it was two or three seasons back. We were concerned about the wide receiver room heading into the season and they come out and they had a great year. Granted, Kyle Trask really helped that out a lot yeah. because he was a really good quarterback. But if Anthony Richardson, you know, I'm not saying he has to have a Kyle Trask type season because that was a record breaking season, but if he can be the quarterback that everyone thinks he can be, I think that that wide receiver room is going to surprise a lot of people. So I think that would be the surprise for me just because, you know, the tight end room, I, I, you know, they were hurt by injuries in the spring. I think they were good enough. And I think that the, the, the hurt, the, the players hurt really showed that they do have some quality depth there. Um, quarterback, you know, I, I think it's the Anthony Richardson show. You have to keep him healthy. Offensive line I already covered that running back. You know, I just don't think there's any surprises or any concerns there. I think they've got a really good room. So I think if I had something that would surprise me, it would be that wide receiver room really turning the corner and benefiting on a guy like Anthony Richardson that, that has a extremely high ceiling. And if he can play like what everyone thinks he's going to, and the coaching staff thinks he's going to, I think that that group of wide receivers is really going to benefit. And I think the point you make about Kyle Trask sort of elevating the play of that group, you know, that year we were talking about where we weren't really sure going into the season. I think it was after, you know, Van Jefferson and and um, and Freddie Swain and, and those guys departed. 
Uh, you weren't sure if Trayvon Grimes was sort of going to take the next step, if Kadarius Tony was going to take the next step. And sure enough, like you said, Kyle Trask made life easier on those guys. And I think one thing that maybe, you know, we're overlooking, and I say that, you're obviously not, um, is the fact that a good quarterback can really sort of make his receivers look good. And look, Emory Jones just flat out wasn't that for his guys last year. And there were times, we've pointed out on the podcast several times, I thought Trent Whittemore didn't get enough credit for his route running and stuff. He was always open, it seemed like, but the progression didn't always get to him. He wasn't always, you know, in that sort of click, 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 balls out mentality for the quarterbacks. And I think if you get that from Anthony Richardson, sort of like we saw in the spring game, to your point, I think those receivers, you've got enough guys. I mean, this is not like it's an untalented group, right? right. I think that 2019 class with Trent Whittemore, with Deontay Marks, who ended up transferring, and with Jamarcus Weston, that wasn't a very solid class on paper. Like, th- those guys were not highly rated. I think Florida's actually gotten probably more out of Whittemore than his rating would suggest, and the other two so far haven't. But the class after that with Xavier Henderson and Jaquavian Frazier's, those were highly rated four-star guys, right? Now, maybe not top 50 types, but those were really high-end prospects. So, you know, is it a case of, those guys have more in the tank, and we just haven't seen it due to poor quarterback play last year. Could the scheme potentially unlock a little bit more for that for those guys? You know, you get that ground game going, all of a sudden play action gets a lot easier. I, I do think you're right. I think the, the receiver group has potential to surprise, and I think the addition of Pearsall probably allows some of those younger guys, a la Jaquavia and Frazier's, to, to maybe develop without some of the intense pressure of, hey, you, you know, when you're out there with the starting group and you drop a pass – that's all of Gator Nation on you now, rather than, you know, everything's kind of rolling with the starting group. You get a couple snaps here and there and can make some plays. I, I do think I do think there's some potential for Anthony Richardson, as you said, to sort of play guys open. And, uh, like, uh, what, what do we have to look at shifting gears here a little bit in recruiting? Uh, just real quickly over the next couple weeks, what can fans look forward to? Yeah, I covered on the last podcast that I was on, you know, just the month of June, the official visit slate is already, I mean, it, it's it's busy. Um, that there's a tab on Swamp 24-7 under the football recruiting tab, um, drop down official visits. It has kind of the schedule of guys. If I haven't forgotten to put any in there, which it happens, um, <laughs> but I, it should be updated enough. So it's going to be a busy, you know, couple weekends for Florida. I don't think we're going to see that last weekend of June where a staff takes a vacation is off to the lake house. So, the, you know, the recruiting is going to stay busy in the month of June. Mix that with, uh, you know, the, their camps they have going on as far as just the one day camps, seven on seven settings. I actually had one of the recruits tell me that he's going to be visiting that last weekend in June. Uh, I think it's the 24th is a Friday. Um, And he mentioned that that is Friday night light. So that's kind of interesting to see the dynamic of, you know, I haven't confirmed it with anyone on, you know, that would be a little bit more tied in and the knowledge of that. Um, But having a a player say that they're visiting for Friday night lights in June, I think is really a a well-needed long overdue idea just because having it that last weekend in July um, after a month long dead period, everyone in the country is trying to get guys on campus. Right. Everyone in the country is trying to do some kind of, you know, whatever they're doing. And, you know, I, I think that switching Friday night lights into maybe from a camp to a cookout type setting would, would also be kind of the next thing I'm looking for, just because last thing anyone wants to do when it's close to the season or after you've had a, you know, opening camps and under armor camps and all sorts of things. Last thing you want to do in late July is go camp, man. So I think a moving that to June where it's not so close to the season for a lot of these guys can kind of bring some, some more guys in there that will actually want to camp. And I think in general, moving it to the last weekend of June, 
you're not competing with everybody in the entire country that's trying to, you know, come right out of the gate of that dead period of having guys on campus. So um, it's something that I'm going to try to look more into now that we've kind of gotten past the spring evaluation period of seeing if, if that's actually really the new date of Friday Night Lights. But I, I love the idea if they have moved that to the last weekend of June. So again, with, you know, day camps, seven on sevens going on, official visits popping off every weekend and potentially Friday Night Lights, it's going to be a busy June. Yeah, that's really interesting on Friday Night Lights, just thinking back through sort of the evolution of that event. And I'm sure that probably won't be very easy to confirm if I had to guess if Florida is changing it. A lot of times, you know, these everybody's copycat, right? So, right. you know, Florida kind of got the ball rolling with the the initial concept of Friday Night Lights back under Urban Meyer. And, you know, you saw Florida for the first several years really do it better than anybody else. It was the elite premier event. You had guys like Ronald Powell, the number one recruit in the country, coming all the way across from California. Well, at, you know, as teams started to copy that, like you said, you have a lot of people now competing for that one little open window towards the end of July. So, uh, yeah, I do think it'll be interesting. And, and one of the other shifts that seems like it's happened over the years is, you know, initially during the urban days, it was very much about the seniors in that class and, and sort of, right. you know, having a splash event to get as many of those seniors that you could on board in your class. Now, recruiting was different because it wasn't as pushed forward on the timeline back then. But it the event sort of shifted towards like middle 2010s of being more you know, about the junior class and, and even Absolutely. sophomores. And it even was even up to the last couple of years. I yeah. mean, it's just, that's what it's been. It's, it's very much, you know, a heavy to be junior type event where you get some scouting on some of those guys, or maybe even get your class, your, you know, your next class rolling with, you know, adding a couple guys in there. Yeah. And I think if you, if you do shift it to the end of June, I do think that that becomes more of a shift to where, especially with this class, we've seen some of the higher profile guys kind of holding out. Maybe you do shift it a little bit more back to focusing on those seniors and can create some splash. So Blake, appreciate the insight, man. That uh, definitely sounds like some interesting stuff coming up for Florida fans and certainly uh, the hardcore recruiting fans. You guys know where to keep it locked on swamp247.com. Blake Alderman and Jacob Rudner have you guys covered. That'll do it for today's episode of the podcast, guys. We appreciate you tuning in. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.